Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Good morning again, church. Hey, you can go ahead and get out your notes, um, whether that's your paper bulletin that you received on the way in, or if you prefer digitally, you can also download the Coastal app and find the notes on there. And then go ahead and get out your Bible as well, digital or analog, and turn to Matthew chapter 5, where we're going to be today. It was author and theologian A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Church, what comes into your mind when you think about God? Because how you view God directly impacts your life. The bigger your view of God, the better you'll see life. The bigger your view of God, the more blessed your life will be. Last week, we started this brand new series called Blessed, because who doesn't want to start the brand new year living in, walking in, standing in the blessings of God? Church, God wants to bless you. He wants you to experience his happiness, but oftentimes it's not in the way that we think or feel or even act toward in our world. This is week two of our series called Blessed. And each week as we go through this series, I want to give you some handles to be thinking about or even a framework to be thinking through, working through, praying through as we look at the Beatitudes, which for many of you is a very familiar passage that maybe you've heard many, many, many times over and over and over again. But I know for some of us, it's brand new and maybe coming to the Beatitudes and seeing these blessed statements that Jesus give is brand new to you. So whether you've heard these many times or whether the Beatitudes are brand new, I want to give you a framework, some handles to be thinking through each week. So each week as we go through this passage in Scripture, I want you to be thinking about and look at it. As we study God's Word, look, there is something to know, okay? There's something to know. And we need to be asking ourselves a question and even praying and asking God, God, is there something in my thinking that needs to change? It's what I'm thinking right now in alignment with the truth. Because if there is something happening in our mind, in our lives, or even in the world that's opposite of what God has said in his word, it's not God who needs to change. It's not his word that was wrong. It's us who needs to change. So do we need to be asking and praying, look, God, there's something right now that I'm seeing in your word that I need to change in my thinking. So something to know, but also something to feel. 
We need to be asking ourselves a question, even praying and asking God right now, God, is what I'm feeling in this season in alignment with the truth? Because how many know that our feelings, look, they are God-given. In fact, what we feel can even come from God. But we need to realize that our emotions, our feelings are not God. They are not to be what leads us. In fact, even in scripture, when you read the word heart in the Bible, we see that word heart mentioned in passages. Um, it doesn't typically reference our hearts in our chest that are pumping blood right now so we can receive the oxygen that we need. When scripture talks about the heart, it's a part of us where what we feel and what we think, our emotions and our thoughts come together. So even those things that God says need to be in check and we need to submit our hearts, what we feel to the Lord. So something to know, something to feel, and something to do. Are my actions right now in alignment with the truth? Are the patterns of behavior that are being built right now in my life, are they in alignment with what God has said in his word? And is there something that I need to actually act upon? Is there something that God has called me to do that I even need to take a step on? Because we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers. We want to live what it says and put it into practice. Last week, as we started this series, we looked at the first Beatitudes, and we call it simply good grief. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Man, blessed are those who are awakened to just how much they need Christ. Blessed are those who realize that their spiritual brokenness only has one fix, and that is Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve the brokenness that's caused by their own sin, when they've offended God, when they've hurt other people. Blessed are those who mourn over that sin, But blessed are those who also mourn the brokenness caused by sin in the world. When we lament and grieve, when we experience that brokenness in our world, because it's when we mourn well that God comforts you. He helps you. With that being said, God wants to bless you. He wants you to experience happiness. But it's often not in the way that we feel, the way we live, or even in what we know. Before we get into this next pathway of happiness that Jesus talks about, we did this last week, and I wanted to do it with you again this week. Usually I pray for you, but this week I want you to pray for you, and then I'm going to pray for everyone in this room. So I want to take just a few moments right now. I'm going to lead you through some prayer prompts, but let's just take some time right now and just simply pray. So would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes? And hey, even if you're watching online, would you bow your heads and close your eyes where you are? I'm going to lead you through some of these things so you can pray what I'm saying or pray in alignment with these things. But right where you are, would you just take a moment and just be quiet before the Lord? In fact, would you just take a deep breath right now? Church, just breathe in. Just breathe out. Every breath you take, has been God-given. The next breath you're going to take is because of God's grace. So right now, would you just praise God because he's given you another breath? 
praise him for who he is. Thank him for what he's done. And praise him for what he's done in your life, even this week, how he's provided for you. We just praise and thank God for who he is and what he's done. Now, would you just pray, God, what do you want me to know? Is there something in my thinking right now that needs to change? And maybe even right now, you know that there's a sin that you need to confess to the Lord. Would you confess that to him right now? Pray, God, what do you want me to know? God, what do I need to change? Now pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to feel? Ask him, God, are my feelings in alignment with the truth? Tell him, God, my feelings are not God. You are. So lead me even in that. What do you want me to feel? Now pray and ask him, God, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, empower me. Equip me to do your will. Pray for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to come, yes, in the world, but right in your life as well. And pray for the courage to do what's right, even if no one else is doing it. Father, I do thank you, God, that every single breath that we take is from you. God, I do thank you that if we are still breathing, Lord, you are not done with us. Lord, you have called us. Lord, you have drawn us to yourself. God, there's things that you want to do in us and through us. And God, we praise you, Lord, that every moment, Lord, we're alive is from you. But God, we're also here to declare, Lord, that we need your grace. God, we need your truth. So Lord, what is it you want us to know today from your word? So many people right now, God, out in our world, they're claiming that they have truth, Lord. But but God, I pray that we know that truth, real truth, there's one truth, and it comes from you. God, I do pray if there's anything that we've been thinking or living seeing that's opposite of what your word says. Lord, renew our minds. God, we want your truth to produce the freedom in us, Lord, that your word says it does produce. God, help us to know, God, what we need to know. But God, also help our hearts, God, our emotions, the things that we feel. God, even though those things are God-given, we don't want to be led by those things. Or will you help even our emotions to be submitted to Christ? God, we submit our hearts to you. Even though our hearts sometimes want to lead us astray, Lord, they're prone to wander, but Lord, we want to submit them to you. And God, help us to know what to do. God, we want to be a church that hears your word. God, we hear the things that you teach, but we don't want to just sit on it. God, we want to put it into practice. So what is it right now, God, in our lives that need to be brought into alignment with your word? God, what are the patterns of behavior, God, the things that we've been going after that are far from you, that we've been acting on, God, and we need to stop, head the opposite direction, and live our lives to the full in you, God, in not just word and thought, but also in our deed. God, help us, Lord, to live and to do what you've called us to do. 
God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the grace that you continually give us, Lord. Even though we don't deserve it, God, we praise you and we thank you because, Lord, we need it. And we need it again right now. God, we need it right now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 5. And even though we're going to be in verses 5 and 6 today, we're going to back up and just read beginning in verse 1, and then we're going to get down to verse 6, okay? Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, if you're following along in your Bibles, it says that seeing the crowds, Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Number one, church, if you haven't written this down yet, write this down, something to know, okay? Right here in this passage today, there's something that God wants us to pay attention to, to know, to put into our thinking about what he has said here in his word. And when we're thinking about something to know this week, I want us to look back again at the background of this passage. And here in the background, we see the crowd, okay? We see the disciples, and we see Jesus's authority. We see the crowd that's around Jesus, We see his disciples, but also there's something here about Jesus's authority. Let's look first at the crowd for a moment. You know, I think a lot of times when we maybe hear or see the word crowd in scripture, or maybe preach on a Sunday morning, especially when it comes to thinking about Jesus, oftentimes we kind of picture this little crowd and some of that maybe mid-century artist work, where usually you see maybe just a group around Jesus, and oftentimes that glowing pie plate behind his head, and then he's sitting up on this little mountain, (laughs) Sermon on the Mount. Like this was a a picture, a drawing of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we often kind of picture when it comes to what was happening in this moment. But it wasn't really like that. In fact, if you go back and read Matthew chapter 4 again, this crowd was from 10 different cities, 10 different cities, groups of people coming to hear Jesus. In fact, there's probably more something like this. There was a large group of people who came to hear what Jesus had to say. So this crowd of people from these 10 different cities gathered while Jesus literally stood on a mountainside to hear what he was going to say. And this crowd, it says that Jesus saw the crowd. And yes, it is similar to just like I'm looking out at you this week and I can see you sitting out in those green chairs this week. But in the original language, when it says that Jesus saw the crowd, it means that, yes, he visibly saw them, but it also meant that he knew them. He understood them. Everyone that was there that day, he knew what they were thinking, what they had done, past, present, and future. He knew every single detail about them. But it's a reminder that even in that large group of people from every background, Every past, present, and future, every thought, knowing every single detail about them, Jesus doesn't run away from them. In fact, he wants to be close. So we see the crowd, but we also see his disciples there. And there's something about Jesus' authority. We see the disciples in this picture of Jesus' authority. In fact, in verse 1, it says his disciples came to him. 
which probably means that they were in the closest proximity to Jesus. See, those who were really following him, they wanted to lean in a little bit more to understand what their teacher, their master, their rabbi was saying. And yes, there was this crowd who had gathered there to see what in the world Jesus was going to do next, to hear what in the world he was going to teach next. But those who were his disciples came a little bit closer to really hear him, to really hear what he was going to say. And even in this little setup here that Matthew records, there is a challenge to not just remain sitting out in the crowd, but there's a challenge here to draw near to Christ to come close to him. Because if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Then of course, in this scene, there's Jesus. And I wanted to point this out again because this is a so important church. It says that he sat down and he began to teach them. He sat down. And see, in the first century, when when a rabbi or teacher was around, when that rabbi or teacher would sit down, the rest of the crowd or the audience or the disciples around would actually remain standing. When that rabbi sat down, it was a picture of their authority. Like they were seated in the authority that they had to teach the people that were their disciples, to speak into their lives, to speak into the very needs that they had. So when Jesus sits down, it was showing his authority, not just as a rabbi or just as some other teacher. He begins to talk about the kingdom of God. But how many of you know that the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, this kingdom of God, is his kingdom? His kingdom is already and not yet. And see, we get these tastes and these waves of it. And even though his kingdom is being established, it's not going to be fully established until he returns. So it is already and not yet. The crowd at this point, look, they don't know it. The disciples don't know it but they are sitting with the king of this kingdom, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, not just another rabbi or guru or philosopher or influencer, but Jesus, God in flesh. So Jesus sits down, showing his authority, and he begins to teach them. And the greatest sermon recorded in the Bible and the longest recorded of Jesus's sermon In fact, even if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you're probably familiar with a lot of the ethics that have been permeated in culture, at least at some point in our world. Uh, Things like turning the other cheek or letting your light shine or even knowing the the Lord's Prayer. You may not know where it's found in the Bible. It was preached right here on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, one of the things that people often kind of take a jab at with Christians when you're maybe talking to someone and they say, hey, judge not, even though it's completely taken out of context, that is found in the Sermon on the Mount right here. All that came from Jesus, who looked out at this crowd. He knew them. He knew what they needed more than they knew how much they needed it. So Jesus sees the crowd. His disciples are right there. And he starts the longest recorded sermon that we have of his in the Bible with these words. He says, blessed. Blessed are those. Again, that word blessed in the original language, it means, look, happy, fortunate, or blissful. Happy, fortunate, or blissful. Look, church, happiness is not the absence of bad circumstance. 
Look, it is this inward satisfaction, even joy that comes despite despair, maybe in our outward circumstances. It is this inward joy that comes from knowing Christ. You know, each week as we go through this series, there is something to know. And I want you to know that real happiness isn't found outside of Jesus. In fact, following Jesus isn't a departure from blessing. Following Jesus isn't a departure from happiness. It's actually movement toward it. These blessed statements, also known as the Beatitudes, these statements that Jesus wants us to know are showing us the attitudes and perspectives that we need to have to experience God's blessings, to experience his happiness. And Jesus says, blessed, happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed, happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, a couple things to know about this beatitude to experience God's happiness and his blessings. First, when it comes to the meek, okay, meekness is not weakness. I think sometimes maybe when we hear the word meek in our culture, sometimes we might think about maybe the, the, the weakest person around. Sometimes we might even think about the person who is the most shy um, in a group. Or sometimes we think about the person who's meek. If we're thinking about the word meek, we think about the person who maybe doesn't either have a backbone or everyone else kind of walks over. But that is not the picture that Jesus is painting here. In fact, the word used for meek in the first century was often used when somebody would actually break a horse. And when a horse is broken in, you don't strip it of its power or its strength, but that power and strength comes under control. Someone who is meek is someone who has humbled themselves under the Lord, humbled themselves under his control. Meekness isn't weakness, church. It's humility. Author and theologian John MacArthur, he says it this way. He says, meekness is the opposite of being out of control. It is not weakness, but rather supreme self-control empowered by the Spirit. Meekness isn't weakness, church. It's power under control, under Holy Spirit control, under godly control. But also with the meek, something to know here is that the meek get everything. Look, meekness isn't weakness, but it is the meek who actually will get everything. You know, Jesus, again, God in flesh, he actually seems to be referencing this psalm that's found in Psalm chapter 37. Where in verse 11 of Psalm 37, uh, the writer says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You know, it, it would seem like in history and even our current culture that it's not the meek who seem to inherit everything. In fact, it would seem like the opposite. The more pride you have, the more prominence you have, the more power you possess, It seems like those are the people who are going to inherit the land or who are going to inherit everything. But Jesus makes it clear here. And all throughout scripture, the Lord makes it clear that at the end of the day, the person who humbles themselves under God, the person that humbles themselves under his will, those are the ones that are going to inherit his peace. They're going to inherit his promises. 
In fact, the hope that we have, those who have trusted in Christ, is not that you will get more property. The hope that we have is that because of Christ, we have this great inheritance. In fact, the day is going to come when Christ returns, when we are going to rule and reign with him over a brand new heaven and over a brand new earth. Those who have humbled themselves before Christ have this great inheritance because of Christ. Happy are the meek. Happy are the humble in Christ because you get everything in him. But then Jesus also goes on to say, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Number two, church, write this down. There's something to feel here. Something to feel. And there's three questions I want to ask you around this beatitude. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? And what is it that really satisfies you? What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? And what is it that really satisfies you? Can I be honest with you again, church, this morning? I'm hungry all the time. I'm hungry right now. In fact, oftentimes when I'm preaching here on Sunday mornings, I begin to think about what in the world I'm going to have for lunch. And I know it's a problem. You guys can pray for me. And I was even thinking this week, you know, I know Christmas is not that long ago. In fact, if you think about it, it was just a little bit less than a month ago. But at Christmas time, we had a feast for our Christmas meal. I mean, we had ham. uh, We had uh, macaroni and cheese, green beans, potato salad, sister Schubert rolls, cranberries. We, I even took some, we took some of the Jamaican side of my family. We made some jerk chicken for our Christmas Eve, Christmas Day dinner. And I'll admit to you that on that day, I ate a lot. I ate a whole lot. I mean, it's so much that I had to actually repent to the Lord later on because I ate so much food on that day. And you want to know what happened at the end of that meal? I said, you know what? I will never eat again. I'll never be hungry again. But you know what? I was hungry later on. And I did eat again. In fact, our appetites are just that. They are appetites. They always return. And I I know we live in America right now. Maybe we don't ever experience like extreme hunger uh, because no one in America really is starving. So we don't ever experience extreme hunger unless maybe you're doing like a full food fast right now as we go through this 21 days. Uh, And maybe you've experienced hunger at least on some level before. But have you ever been so hungry that you began to meditate on food? I've mentioned this before, but in seminary, my very first fast that I ever did was when I was in grad school, when I was in seminary. It was during a season in my life where I realized that I really wanted to to submit everything in my life to the Lord. It was during a season where I'd been engaging and looking at pornography over and over and over again. And I wanted to submit this to the Lord. I wanted to experience his freedom, even in this area of my life. And through discipleship and mentorship, someone told me, look, fasting is one of those things, spiritual disciplines you can put into to petition to the Lord and really have him break down some things in your life and produce freedom in your life. So I went on one of the longest fasts I've ever did. It was 11 days. It was a liquids-only fast. And during that time, again, along with 
fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and through some accountability and discipleship um, and through teaching from his word, I really did experience freedom in that season. And praise God, since then, I have not returned to looking at pornography. But during that time, during that time as I was fasting, church, I was hungry. In fact, about halfway through the fast, I remember I was working at Sears in their electronics department selling the TV, and it was a slow afternoon. I remember I was so hungry. I started to think about what would it be like to eat an onion? (laughs) Not even a blooming onion, just a straight-up onion. And I started fantasizing about how good it would be to bite into even the peel, not even peel it, just eat an onion because I was so hungry in that moment. Have you ever been so hungry for something that you thought, man, if I could just get that thing, whatever it is, it would bring me satisfaction? Have you ever been so thirsty for something that if you could just get that thing, whatever it is, that it was going to quench your thirst? Like, let me ask it this way. Have you ever been so hungry for something that you knew it wasn't good for you, but you thought if I could just get that thing, it would satisfy, but it didn't. Our appetite for happiness is often misplaced. In fact, our appetites are one of the main things that can lead us astray. Here, Jesus is saying, look, hungering for righteousness, hungering here for the things of God, hungering for righteousness here is talking about hungering for right conduct living the way that God actually requires. But it's not just putting on some sort of outward show. It's not just pretending like everything is right and good. It's not just making it look like things are right between you and God on the outside. But this hungering for righteousness is something that we feel and that we do from the inside out. In fact, it's hunger and thirst that actually conveys this longing for something we need. It's hungering and thirst that Jesus is talking about that conveying this longing for someone we need. But how many know that right here, Jesus isn't just talking about Chick-fil-A nuggets and lemonade. In fact, later on, after the Sermon on the Mount is over, Jesus had this interaction with a Samaritan woman. Now, Samaritans and Jewish people hated each other. In fact, they were even racist toward one another. Uh, They very rarely would cross paths, and they did not like one another. Most of the times, Jewish people completely avoided the Samaritans, and the same thing the other way around. But Jesus, who was so good at breaking down barriers and reaching across lines to show us how to really live, had to go to Samaria. And he went there specifically to meet with this Samaritan woman who was sitting at this well. In fact, in John chapter 4, um, as the Samaritan woman is talking to him, they would have all this dialogue about religion and what it means to follow God, but also this dialogue about thirst. And at some point, the woman said, why don't you just go ahead and just get a drink from this well, guys? You know who Jesus was. Why don't you just go ahead and just drink something, okay, and just kind of get out of my hair? And Jesus says this to her. Jesus said to her, John chapter 4, verse 13, He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Church, do you have a thirst for, a hunger for the things of Christ? Do you have a hunger and a thirst for Christ himself? In fact, I think some of you are even there right now. You're in this season where you are hungering and thirsting for the things of God. In fact, even when it comes to, come, comes to coming to church on Sundays, like you don't, you don't feel like you have to come to church. You feel like you get to come to church. And you're so hungry for the things of God. You can't wait to be in church. You can't wait to open your Bible, man. You can't wait to seek the Lord in prayer. You can't wait for small group season to begin because you are hungry and thirsty for the things of God. Man, you can't wait to spend that quiet time with him because you know he's going to speak to you. You can't wait to worship him, whether it's through song or something that he's doing in your life. You can't wait to worship him because you know he's going to meet with you. And you're hungry and thirsty for Christ himself and for the things of God. And I love those seasons in our life when we're so hungry for God, we're so thirsty for God that we're just doing everything we can to go after whatever it is he tells us to do. But some of you might be in a season right now where your appetite has made you hungry for what's far from God. Some of you have even set your appetite on that promotion, hoping that it would fill your hunger for acceptance, but it's still leaving you feeling empty. Some of you right now have set your appetite on that thing. And whatever that thing is in your world where you thought, if I could just get that thing, Come on, students in the room, if I could just get a phone, if I could just get the iPhone 14, even though it's the same phone that they made three years ago, if I could just get that thing, it's going to bring me the satisfaction that I've been looking for. But even after I get that thing, it still leaves me not satisfied, still leaves me feeling hungry. Some of you set your appetite on a relationship that maybe you knew, uh, maybe before getting into it, even after right getting into it, that this is going to be a bad relationship for you or a toxic relationship for you. But you thought, if I could just get into this relationship, it's finally going to bring me the peace and satisfaction that I've been looking for. The only thing that relationship has done is produced more brokenness in you. Some of you set your appetite on pornography. You think, if I could just look one more time, if I can just look one more time, it's going to produce the satisfaction that I feel like I need. But all it's done is left a greater void, a greater hunger, more brokenness. Look, Jesus sees, the Savior knows. He sees how many times you try to fulfill that appetite with all these other things. But oh, how he wants you to really know how to be satisfied. Are the things in your life that you're hungry for, even thirsty for, are they bringing the blessings of God into your life? Are they really, really making you happy? Because blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you know it? Do you feel it? Look, church, here's, here in, this, in God's word, there's something to know. Like, is there something right now in your thinking that needs to change? Is there something right now in your feeling that is out of alignment, something that you're hungry for or even thirsty for that's not producing godliness? 
that it's not producing the righteousness of God. It's not producing the satisfaction that you've been searching for. Is there something deep down that you've been doing, participating in, even feeling that's actually pulling you further and further away from God? Look, Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He is the life. Drinking from him is experiencing life to the full. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Everything that you've been looking for is found in submitting to Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Church, I don't know about you, but I want to be satisfied. But not in the way the world says, not even in the way my own heart says, but I want that Jesus satisfaction. So here it is, number three, something to do, okay? Something to do. And first thing that we need to do when we're thinking about putting this into practice is that we need a hunger for humility. We need a hunger for humility. And with each one of these, I want to fill you up with some scriptures. You're going to read some large chunks of the Bible to fill you up on what God's word has said today. And in fact, one of the first things we need to do when we're hungering for humility is that we need to be able to serve like Christ. We need to serve in the same way that Jesus has. In fact, listen to what it says here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is so good. Listen to Jesus's example on how he humbled himself, but also how he served. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look, the same God that hung the stars in the sky, the same one that made you on purpose for a purpose, is the same one who humbled himself. It's the same one to even serve his disciples and wash their stinky feet. Look, serving is one of the ways that we actually lean into the things of God. It's how we surrender our lives and how we have more of Jesus in our lives. In fact, that's one of the reasons why this is even a value here at this church. Look, we serve in ministry and we serve in mission because it is serving that humbles you. It is in serving that you're actually being like Christ. Church, one of the things that we want to challenge you to do as part of this church that we want every single person to go on a missions trip. We want you to experience what God is doing all throughout the world. And there's something about when you actually go, 
when you go to those who could never repay you back because you are serving them, you're ultimately serving Christ. And there's something about going on a mission trip that humbles you, but it also fills you. Um, I know a couple of you in this room went last year with our team to Ukraine um, and Poland and served there. I remember hearing that team report back when they came back. They were saying, look, no one's coming to Ukraine right now during this war-torn season. No one's coming here. But man, the family of God, those who are wanting to serve Jesus and others were coming. I know several of you went on the Puerto Rican mission trip last year. And again, many people don't know, but there's still houses that are damaged from hurricanes down there. There's still rebuilding that needs to happen. Um, so our team went down there to be able to serve communities, help build houses, and also share the gospel. And one of the things I started to hear as a week went on, as people went down there to serve on this trip, they started to say, look, I know I came here to serve. I know I came here to pour out. But as I'm leaving this place, even though I'm so tired from all this cement mixing, even though I'm so tired, I feel filled. Look, there's something about when you serve in the way that Jesus did. When you choose to pour out your life and serve others, that he actually fills you. There's fulfillment in serving. Maybe you need to start serving inside this church. Look, yes, we serve in missions. We go on mission trips. We also serve right here in ministry, right here inside the walls of this church. So maybe this is a season for you to find a place to serve. And there's something about that happens when you're like Christ and you're serving others that God actually blesses you, that he actually fills you. So if we're hungering for humility, we serve like Christ, but we also live like a Christian. We live like a Christian. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. In fact, if you look at that in your Bible, a lot of times they put a little header above that section and they call it Christian living or what it means to live like Christ. Church, what if we just follow what it said in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21? And what if we submitted our lives to live this way? What if we were hungering after living this type of lifestyle that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9? Listen to what he says. He says, let love be genuine. What if we even just stopped right there? What if we as a church, we really loved people like Christ? We humbled ourselves and we loved people like Christ. What if we were to love people even when it's hard, even when it's difficult? Just like Paul, who actually wrote this letter, who at one point was killing Christians. Just like Matthew, who wrote uh, what we were reading earlier, who was a tax collector, tax collector who was hated by everyone else in culture. What if we actually love people like the woman at the well that Jesus went to in truth and grace? And he said, look, I didn't approve. I don't approve of your lifestyle, but he wanted to give her truth and grace. And he wanted to serve her with the truth and with his love. And even though he didn't approve of her with the five different guys that she had been with, he said that he knew that she was thirsty for the wrong things. So what if we hungered for humility and humbled our will, our desires, to live and to love like Jesus. He says, look, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, don't be lazy, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. In other words, do not be proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heat burning coals on his head. Do not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, hunger for humility. Serve like Christ. Humble your heart and live like a Christian, not just on the outside, but from the inside out. Let's desire and pray for and hunger and set our appetites on this way of living. Okay, one more thing to do, and we need to thirst for personal righteousness. We need to be thirsty for personal righteousness. Now, this is how you do it. There's two things, two ways you can put this into practice. Uh, The first way is that we need to practice confession. We need to be able to practice confession. First uh, John chapter one, John writes, he says, this is a message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. In other words, if, if we say we know the Lord, but we're not confessing our sin. He said, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. You know, sometimes it can seem like we talk a lot about sin here um, around this place. And that is true to a certain degree. But it's because those who have trusted Christ, we don't want to walk in darkness. In fact, sometimes we can get so comfortable with sin that our eyes, even our own appetites, can be driven to something that we think is good. But it's actually hurting us. It's hurting those around us and causing more brokenness in the world. Followers of Jesus don't want to be a part or cause more brokenness or darkness in the world. We want to bring the light of Christ. And that's why confession is so good. It is so good. It is good for the soul. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Look, I want our church to be a group of good confessors. Uh, We want to be that when we do sin against God, We don't try to hide it or pretend like it didn't happen. We confess our sins and we repent of our sins to the Lord. And then even when it comes to each other, if we, if we have hurt one another because of sin, like we turn to, we turn to that person, we confess it 
and we repent of it. And when we confess our sins, God actually brings in, he actually satisfies our souls. When we confess our sins, God actually helps restore relationships between him, but also between one another. This is what really satisfies. It is setting our appetite on holiness, thirsting for personal righteousness. We need to practice confession. And then one more, okay? We need to practice running toward what really satisfies. We need to be in the habit, the practice of running toward what really satisfies. First Timothy chapter six, the apostle Paul, after telling Timothy, look, don't be led astray. Don't fall in love with money because money is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't let all these false teachers produce uh, more bad theology, more bad doctrine in the church, leading people further from God. Don't let all these false teachers cause sin inside the church. He says, but you, but as for you, O man of God, he says, flee these things. And he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, sometimes I really do hate how appealing the things that pull us far from God really are. In fact, sometimes I, I wish those things didn't exist. We weren't ever tempted to head that way. And we could just always hunger and thirst after righteousness. But sometimes when it comes to, when those things come up in our life, we're tempted to, to move toward those things. We have to be in the practice of running as far away as possible. Uh, many of you know we have four children. And then our youngest son, his name is Lucas. And I don't know what it is, but in this season, he's got into this habit uh, this practice, and it's starting to grow in him where he has started to, to lick things, okay? I mean, sometimes he'll lick tables out at restaurants. He'll lick chairs. He'll lick door handles. Now, praise God, so far, he hasn't licked any toilets or people, okay? And in fact, every time he does it, we'll, we'll ask him, like, Lucas, why, why are you licking this? And then classic seven-year-old response, I don't know. Like he has no good reason for why he's beginning to lick things. And so we'll tell him, look, look, this is not good behavior to build in your life because the, the more you do this, like it can actually hurt you. You may pick up some germs from someplace. You may be spreading germs. So literally doing this, like it could hurt you and it could hurt others. So you need to stop doing it. Church Honest, right after church last week, out in the lobby, we have those four glass doors out there. Lucas went outside those doors he turned back around and then he stuck his face against the door and it started licking the door. So through the door, I say, son, stop licking the door. And you want to know what he did? He's like, okay, daddy. And he backed up, but he didn't like move away from it. He went like right here, continued to make the same mouth motions that he was doing before. So I said, oh my gosh, kid. And I went outside and I grabbed him gently. I grabbed him and I pulled him back inside. I said, sometimes, son, when you're tempted to do something, you can't be as close to that thing as possible. You got to move away. You got to run away from it. You got to do something different. So I pulled him and I moved him away and directed it back to where his friends that he was playing with before. 
Now, now, church, I know it's late in the service, okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm about done. But I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I need you to tell them something, okay? I need you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to repeat after me. You need to say, don't. Say it with more confidence with that, because they need to hear this this morning, okay? Say, don't lick the glass. Now turn to your other neighbor and tell them, look, you got to run away. Look, church, sometimes you have to run away. Sometimes you can't be so close to temptation because the more you do that, the more it's building an appetite for these things. Man, God wants us to move away from those things, to run away. Paul says, flee those things. Flee those things. And Jesus says, look, set your appetite, hunger, and thirst for righteousness because that is what will satisfy. Not that thing that's tempting you further away from God, but the things of God. So as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, I just want to finish right where we began. What comes in your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Church, what is it that comes into your mind when you think about God? And in this season right now, do you know that God wants to bless you? Does you know that God wants you to experience his happiness? But it may not be in the way that you know, that you think, you've been feeling, or even in what you've been doing. So right now, like if you're sitting in this room, is there something to know? Like, is there something in your mind right now, something in your thinking that needs to change, that needs to be in alignment with the truth? Is there something that you've been feeling right now, hungry for, thirsting for, thinking is going to satisfy that is far from the things of God? Church, right now, is there something that you even need to repent of and turn away from? But even for the person who's sitting in the room who hasn't yet trusted Christ, man, have you been trying to fill your life with all these things, hungry and thirsty for those things? Has it been producing satisfaction? Has it been producing happiness? Because Jesus said, look, those things are only going to pull you further away. But blessed, happy are those who realize how poor in spirit they are, how much they need him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And look, that righteousness is found in a relationship with Jesus. When you realize that this Jesus who is God died on the cross to pay the price for your sin, to make a way, that he died, but he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave. And if you repent of that sin and believe the good news about Jesus, you receive him as Lord, and that is what satisfies. So church, is there something you need to change in your mind? Are your feelings out of alignment with the truth? Or is there a step that you need to take as well? You're going to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe right now, if you're sitting out there, look, you've already trusted Christ as Lord, and um, you know the way, the truth, and the life. You have a relationship with him. Uh, But right now, there is something right now that you know needs to change. A step you need to take. Would you just raise your hand up so I can pray for you? Raise your hand up so I can pray for you. Okay, raise it up. All right, anybody else? Raise it up high so I can see it, okay? All right, anybody else? All right, put your hands down. And I want you to know that even in this moment, again, no matter where you're at right now, like the blessings of God are still available for you. In fact, I love how John records that we are to be good confessors. That if we repent of our sin, if we confess our sin, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even as we sing this last song, would you confess those things to the Lord? Would you even begin to pray, God, give me a new appetite for you. Help me, Lord, to hunger and thirst for your righteousness, because that is what will satisfy. Father God, again, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would set our appetite on you. God, I pray you will help us, Lord, to flee the things that pull us away, that only leave, in us, feel, only leave us feeling more hungry, more broken. God, I pray that we would turn to you instead. Lord, help us to be a people who humble ourselves before you, but also who chase after you. In Jesus' name.